Well, good morning, church. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here at Village. Uh, If you are just kind of visiting with us and uh, kind of tuning in, uh, let me just say you're very, very welcome. I hope you're blessed from your time uh, kind of with us in this way. Uh, Let me also say that you're missing out on a huge part of what Village is. Um, We're getting close to being able to gather again. Uh, Thank the Lord. And just let me just encourage you that when we are able to do that, to come along, uh, to come and see what Village in the Flesh is actually like. Because the church isn't uh, a webcast, the church isn't a meeting, the church isn't a building, it's a, it's a people. Uh, so come and see what that's like. Um, this morning we're continuing our series looking at uh, the parables of Jesus. And we've given this series the title, Kingdom Culture. Uh, because that's basically what the purpose of Jesus' parables is um, to reveal to his listeners what this kingdom of God is all about. What's the kingdom of God like? What's the king in the kingdom like? How do you become part of the kingdom? These are all questions that hopefully we'll we'll be able to give more of an answer to today. Uh, And this morning we're looking at uh, what is possibly the most famous short story ever told. This is a short story that's been made into films and, and books and, and, and music and songs. Um, and it's the, the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, I purposefully had Alan read uh, the entirety of, of Luke chapter 15, uh, which technically has three parables, but really we're meant to, uh, to read and understand these three stories as, as one unit. Uh, three parables, three stories, all giving us one uh, unified message. Um, each of the stories has a essential figure, has a hero, uh, and each of the heroes is a symbol for God, for Jesus. Um, actually, the allegory in this story is quite obvious. Uh, the father in the story is, is meant to represent Jesus. Uh, the, the younger son, or the prodigal, is meant to represent uh, the sinners and the tax collectors. Uh, the older son is meant to be representing the scribes and the Pharisees. And we really understand this by, by looking at the context, which is always really important for Scripture. Uh, we look at the context that Jesus is, is actually delivering this parable. And, and Luke gives us the, the context in, in the first two verses of, of chapter 15. Uh, he, he tells us really who Jesus' audience is and why he is giving them this specific parable. Uh, look at that. Verse 1 uh, says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So this is our context. This is our audience. Two groups. Uh, You have the sinners and the tax collectors. Basically the the most despised groups in the Jewish community. Uh, They they are drawing near to Jesus. They're they're, they're coming near to him to to listen to him preach uh, about the kingdom of God. And and we're told not only are they they drawing near to him, but Jesus is actually receiving them and eating with them. And the scribes and the Pharisees are are complaining, uh, saying that this man actually received these these deplorable people, and he's eating with them. And Jesus, it's like he's replying, and he says, you accuse me of eating with these sinners, and you are absolutely right. That, that is precisely what I do. But, but as a matter of fact, it's much worse than that. I actually rush down the road to them. I embrace them. I shower them with kisses and I drag them in so that I might eat with them. It's almost like he's saying it's much, it's much, much worse than you could have imagined. Let me tell you a story to explain how this happens. 
and he uh, delivers his parable to the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, let's look at the story. Each, uh, the, the story has three main characters. So you have uh, the, the father, uh, you have the younger son, who's the prodigal, uh, and you have the older son. And, and with these three main characters also comes uh, three main points in the story. And really which point you see depends on, on which character's perspective you are seeing the story through. Uh, so different members of, of Jesus' audience would have uh, identified themselves most closely with, with, with different characters in the parable, and, and uh, that would mean that one of the points would come across more strongly uh, to them than the others. And, and even today, uh, you might find yourself identifying with, with one or the other brother, uh, and, and that's okay. Uh, even though there's always a bit of danger, always looking for yourself in Scripture, which character am I meant to be? Uh, Jesus is, he does want you in this case to, to look for yourself, uh, to find which character is you. Uh, but but uh, let me encourage you, uh, let me maybe even kind of warn you while you do that, um, as you're identifying with, with one of the brothers, keep your eye on the Father. Uh, keep your eye on him because he's the hero of the story. He's the main character in the story. Jesus is the father in this story. So, so let the father be uh, the main person that you're kind of captured and enthralled by as we make our way through this. Um, really, the story plays out in, in two acts. Uh, act one is uh, kind of focuses in on the younger brother and the father. Uh, act two uh, centers in on the older brother and the father. So let's begin, uh, verse 11, act one, kind of scene one, um, says, and Jesus said, or, or uh, he said, that there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them, between his two sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. We'll stop there for a minute. Um, there's a couple things to note. Uh, firstly, it's really understand, uh, important for us to understand uh, what exactly the younger son is asking for here. Uh, this isn't a story just about a young man who, who wants to find his way. He wants to go out into the world. So he goes to his father to ask for some money uh, or, or to ask for permission uh, to go on this journey. That's not what's happening here. He's coming to his father and he's asking for, for his inheritance and if you've ever been uh, given an inheritance, you'll know that an inheritance is something that's given to you after your relative is dead, after your parent is dead. Uh, but the, what the son is doing is he's going and he's asking for his inheritance while his father is still alive and in good health. He's basically saying to his father, Father, I wish you were dead. I, I, I wish you were dead so that I could have what is coming to me. And Jesus' audience would have understood this right away to be an outrageous request. Uh, the, the, the son has, has absolutely no concern for his relationship with his father. His only concern is what the father can offer him. The younger son wants all the blessings, the blessings and, and the privileges of the father without the relationship with him. And, and, and I wonder how often this describes the way we interact with God. God, I want all the blessings. I, I want uh, all that you can offer me. I just don't want you. 
I'm not interested in in a relationship with you. I'm not interested in, in, in the abiding part of our relationship. I'm interested in what you can offer me. You see, the younger son is, is making an, an outrageous and insulting request of the father. Uh, but the second thing Jesus', Jesus audience would have quickly understood is not only is the son's request quite unbelievable, but so is the father's response to the son. And if the father was a traditional Middle Eastern parent, he would strike the boy across the face and drive him out of the house. Like, how dare you ask such an insulting and dishonorable thing? And, and really, this isn't hard for us to pick up on. Surely this isn't just a Middle Eastern thing. Um, uh, surely such an outrageous request uh, would be outrageous in, in, in any part of the world, to any culture. Father, I wish you were dead so that you could just give me what's coming to me. The father at this point is, is fully expected to, to refuse, to punish his son, but he doesn't. Uh, there's also this added element uh, of public humiliation to the story that we're going to see. Uh, and that's because there's another uh, kind of character group in this story that we often fail to, to, to recognize. And that group is, is the community around them that is, that is witnessing this drama unfold. And we often imagine this, this family home as, as this great house on top of a hill in isolation. I, I often think of the, uh, the family home in the film Gladiator, this, this magnificent uh, Mediterranean house surrounded by, by sprawling fields of wheat. But that's probably not the case here. Um, if you know anything about the Holy Land, uh, agricultural land is, is quite scarce. And, and actually, farmers rarely lived on their farmland. Instead, they would live in, in tightly compacted villages. And when they would do this, they would then have, well, more land to, to farm on. And also villages uh, uh, gave a bit of uh, security to, to the people as well. So, so there's this, this added element of, of, of community that, that's usually assumed in Jesus' parables. And, and when you add this perspective of all of this drama uh, kind of playing out in front of the, the Middle Eastern community... There's even more significance to the father's response to his son's request. He does it. He, he, he gives him what he asks for. He, he divides the property between his sons. Verse 13 says, not many days later, very, very quickly, in fact, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. That, that, that phrase, gathered all he had, it, it basically means he, he cashed it all in. He, he sold everything that he was given. And, and, and quite quickly, within days, he, he sold his share of the property, which would have been significant. This is, this is obviously a, a very wealthy family. They have a herd of fatted calves. They have, they have a herd of goats. They, they have house, house servants. They have slaves. Uh, they have a, a banquet hall that's large enough to, to throw a large uh, feast. Uh, the father can afford to, to hire local musicians for the party. And the father here is, he's permitting not only the son to have his share of the inheritance, he's also giving, permitting the son to, to sell his portion of the property, which again would have been a, a shameful thing because the father was, is still alive and he's, and he's in good health, he's well. Uh, Kenneth Bailey points out that the father grants both the inheritance 
and the quick right to sell, knowing full well that the exercise of this unprecedented privilege will expose the family to public shame. You see, the the father's response uh, to his son's outrageous request is equally outrageous to Jesus' audience. But but what you see is is happening here. Remember, the parables are meant to describe what the kingdom of God is like. And and as he's doing that, Jesus isn't uh, trying to paint this picture of an ordinary family to describe his kingdom. He's, he's, he's flipping upside down every expectation of how these characters would relate to one another in order to do so. Uh, so the younger son, he, he cashes in his inheritance. He has a pocket full of cash. Uh, and verse 13 says he took a journey into a far country. Uh, most likely this son was, was fully aware of the shame that he had brought upon his, his household, the humiliation uh, he, he was fully aware of the scorn the community would, would show him. So he really has no desire to stay anywhere near home. He packs up everything he has and, and heads off into the far country. And let's see what happens. Uh, it says the, the younger son uh, gathered all he had and, and took a journey into a far country. And there he, he squandered all he had in reckless living. And when he went, he... Uh, and says, and when he spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to, to be in need. So when he went, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave no one gave him anything. Uh, so again, firstly, uh, Jesus' Jewish listeners would have understood this, this, this far-off country, uh, they would have understood immediately that, this, uh, that the prodigal had traveled to a Gentile land uh, because th- there's no such thing as a Jewish pig farmer. Uh, n- the pigs are uh, unclean animals to Jews. The Jews don't eat pigs. Uh, you don't touch pigs. If you even touch a pig, you become unclean yourself. So, so the son has, has obviously left his Jewish community and he's journeyed into a Gentile country. And now, again, a little bit more context to, to the way that Jesus' audience would have understood how, what's happening here that we often miss out on. Um, there's, there's probably a couple things going through the son's mind as he's leaving this, this Jewish village and traveling to a Gentile land. Um, you, you see, it would, be, it would be a huge mistake for anyone to, to lose their inheritance, especially an inheritance that you've been given early. But, it would, but to lose it specifically to Gentiles would have even costlier consequences. Um, in fact, in the, in the Jerusalem Talmud, uh, we're told that at the time of Jesus, the Jews actually had a method of punishing Jewish boys who lost his family inheritance to Gentiles. Because such a loss was considered particularly shameful. And this is written about in, in part of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, one of those writings says, And now, my sons, be watchful of your inheritance that, you have been, that has been bequeathed to you, which your fathers gave you. Do not give your inheritance to Gentiles, lest you be regarded as humiliated in their eyes and foolish, and they trample upon you. So it's, it's, it's shameful to lose your inheritance specifically to Gentiles. And, and really to discourage this from happening, the community came up with what was called the Kazeza ceremony or, or the, the cutting off ceremony. 
basically any Jewish boy who, who lost his inheritance to the Gentiles uh, faced this, this cutting off ceremony if he dared return home to his village. And what would happen is basically the, the elders of the village would, would fill these, these clay pots with, with burnt nuts and burnt corn and they would break the, the, the pots in front of the boy and say, so-and-so is cut off from his people. And from then forth, uh, the, the village would have absolutely nothing to do with him. He's cut off. He could possibly be thinking about this as, as he's uh, leaving to the Gentiles. Uh, there, there's also an even costlier thing that could be running through his mind. And, and that's the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy 21 that says a rebellious son could be stoned to death at the city gates. It's costly what he's doing. So, so as, he's, as he's leaving town, the prodigal knows he must not lose his inheritance to the Gentiles. But that's exactly what happens. We're told that he, he squanders it on reckless living. He spends everything. Literally, it says he wastes the whole thing. So not only has he, has he insulted his father, has he brought humiliation onto his, his household, not only has he broken that relationship, now he's done the one thing he knows he can't do if he ever wants to return home. He loses everything to the Gentiles. And then we see that things get far worse. A, a severe famine arises in the country and he begins to be in need, which is quite obvious. Of course he's in need. He's, he's absolutely broke. And when a famine comes, uh, the, the most important thing is food. And, and really, um, what we would see happen with anyone in the world, it, it, when anyone in the world is in desperate need, what do they do? What do they want to do? They want to go home. Anyone who, 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 who uh, uh, the one thing that everyone needs when they are in a dire situation is their family. Um, but that's the one thing he knows he can't do. He can't go back because he's broken the rules. He, he's lost his inheritance here. Going back empty-handed would almost certainly mean being cut off from the village or quite possibly death. Um, so what does he need to do? He, he needs to actually recoup his losses somehow. He, he, needs, to, he needs to get his money back. Um, so, so naturally, he looks for work. He, he gets a job. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And, and the, the, the Pharisees would have quickly uh, tuned into that. And, and because the, the language there is actually he, he attached himself to one of the citizens of that, that Gentile country. And they would have immediately said, ah, just like the tax collectors who, who, who hire themselves out to the Romans, who, who attach themselves to the Romans. And the son does that. He hires himself out to the, 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 the Gentile country, uh, the citizen of this country, who hires him as a pig farmer. And again, the Jewish audience would, would find this egregious. They, they would either uh, laugh at this or, or throw up in their mouths a little bit. Verse 16, And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. This is his, his lowest point. He, he, he's starving uh, to the point that he's, he's willing to eat the pig slop. It says that no one gave him anything. So whatever friend he's had, uh, whatever uh, friendship that he's gained, they've deserted him. 
He's got nothing. Even the job that he's, he's got isn't working out for him. He's not even being paid enough to feed himself. Verse 17, but when, he came to his, uh, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. He's thinking back to, to, to the workers in the father's field, and he says, Even they have more than enough food to eat. And I am here dying of hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he thinks to himself, what on earth am I doing here? Even the the workers in my father's field that he's hired have food to eat. I'm going back. And and as he decides this, he he decides to prepare a speech for his father. Because he's ready for his risky return. And he prepares this speech. Father, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Hire me as a worker in your field. Now, we need to be careful how we understand what's happening here. Because some folks will say, ah, the moment of repentance. Finally, he has a change of heart and he's ready to go back and apologize to his father. Repentance. Be careful. I don't think that's exactly what's happening here. I don't think that this is the prodigal's moment of true repentance. This isn't the moment that his heart is changed. Because the text actually tells us why he's deciding to go back. Firstly, because he's starving. Because he needs to eat. And secondly, because he hopes his father will accept him as a hired servant. He hopes his father will hire him as a worker in his field. Why a hired servant and not just a slave? It's because he he still feels the need to earn his money back. He still feels the need to to repay his debt in order to gain his father's acceptance. Also, that that interpretation that the the son just somehow pulls himself up by his bootstraps and and finds his own way home uh, on his own accord, and then this this celebration happens as a result of what he's done, that, that simply just does not make any sense alongside the other two stories that we read. Actually, that interpretation is is completely opposite from the the first two stories. Where in those stories, the the finder has to find what is lost. And then what happens is, is a celebration happens because they have found what is lost. So the good shepherd, he, he finds his sheep and then he celebrates because he found the sheep. The, the, the good woman finds her lost coin and then she celebrates finding her lost coin. Surely it makes no sense that the lost son uh, makes his own way back and then they celebrate him returning in that way. Now, I I don't think that this is where his full repentance takes place. His change of heart happens. He's prepared to go home, but for the purpose of repaying his father in order to achieve reconciliation and therefore get something to eat. You see, the prodigal, he, he thinks that his problem is the lost money. He, he, he's concerned about the law. He's concerned that he's, he's messed up. I, I've lost what I shouldn't have. I, I'm going to be cut off. So, so this is my solution. I'm going I'm to work for my father. I'm going to earn the money back. You see, he still doesn't understand. 
Because as, as we're about to see, the, the problem is not merely about a broken law. It's about a broken relationship. And possibly uh, th- that phrase, uh, the father sees him while he is still a long way off, that could possibly be as much of a spiritual reality as it is a physical one. Because he thinks that a sum of money is going to heal a broken heart. You see, he's still a long way off. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So he's making his way home. He's probably reciting this prepared speech He's, he's, he's ready to make his case to his father. He, he's ready to, to plead his case uh, to become a hired servant in order to reconcile himself. And look at what the father does. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. How? How did that happen? What are the chances of this happening? How, how could it be that the father is the one to spot him from a long way off? It's because he's waiting for him. It's because day after day, he's staring down that road, waiting for his son to return. And and why was he doing this? Why was he waiting for his return day after day? It's because he knew he would fail. The the, the father knew his son could not make it without him. He knew that, that, that the lonesome journey the prodigal was on was certainly going to fail. So day after day, he waited for him, watching for his son to return. And and what does he do when he sees him? Does he think to himself, there he is. There's that failure, clawing his way home. I can't wait to hear this, this apology. No, it says he has compassion for him. His heart is filled with love for his son, with mercy for his son. He's so happy to see him that he runs to him. He embraces him. He he kisses him. It's literally the, the father fell on his son's neck. And again, this, this would have been a completely upside-down reaction to how the listener of this story would expect the father to react. Yet again, the father is, is breaking the mold of the Middle Eastern patriarchy. So, so, so spotting the boy while he was, he was still at a distance, the father takes his long robes, he hikes his long robes up in his hand, he runs down the crowded street to welcome his pig herder of a son. As he does so, he utterly humiliates himself in front of the village. Out of compassion, the father empties himself. The father actually assumes the form of a servant and runs to reconcile his estranged son. You see, no, no self-respecting landowner would humiliate himself 
but by pulling up his long robes, bearing his naked legs, and, and running like a servant in public. This effort to reconcile his son takes complete humiliation by the father. Kenneth Bailey points out that the father, listen to this, he, he runs and he reaches the prodigal and he falls on his son's neck and he kisses him before he hears his, his son's prepared speech. This is incredible. This is so important. The, the, the father does not demonstrate this costly love in response to his son's confession. No, rather, he, his offer of grace is a prelude to the, to the prodigal's remarks. Isn't that amazing? Notice also that the, the prodigal's speech, he only delivers half of it. He, he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then he leaves out the request to be a hired servant. Some scholars suggest that, that the father is interrupting his son's speech here, uh, not letting him get to his request to be a hired worker um, but, but I don't think that seems to be what's happening here. I, I think the son purposefully decides not to include that line because he seems to be, this seems to be his, his moment of true repentance, of true heart change, transformation. The son is, is blown away by the father's actions. He's blown away by, the, by his, his, his humiliation, by, by the costly love on display when the son absolutely does not deserve this. You see, the prodigal is he's surrendering his plan to try to save himself and lets his father find him. He finally comes to acceptance of being found. One Middle Eastern commentator wrote that the prodigal did not complete what he was planning to say because he, because he saw from the running of his father to him and the grace-filled way his father met him and embraced him and kissed him, that there was no longer any place for this request to be made into a hired servant. For if after such acts he had made such a request, it would have appeared that he doubted the genuineness of his father's offered forgiveness. He would actually be, be trampling on the father's costly demonstration of love and grace. So the, the prodigal neither, he didn't forget to finish his speech, nor was he interrupted. Rather, in this moment, because of the father's actions, his world was transformed. His, his world was transformed by his father's costly demonstration of love. You see, the shepherd goes forth to find his sheep. The, 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 the woman goes and searches for her coin. And in like manner, the father must go out and find his son. And it's, it's because the father's public humiliation, his, his costly demonstration of love for his son, that the son surrenders all his plans of saving himself and accepts being found. And, and, and it's in this moment, you see, that the, the prodigal has a, has a critical choice to make. He can either, in this moment, refuse the grace offered to him and insist that he work and pay as a solution to his problem. And I, I can't help but to think if this, if the prodigal was, was the average Northern Irishman, uh, he would do that. I can't owe you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pay you. I'm going to make my way. He can either refuse that grace offered to him and insist to work or he can surrender to the grace and repent. 
except being found. And the result of what's just happened is actually the same of the first two stories. A party's thrown. Verse 22, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. And just like in the previous two stories, the, the father gives the reason for the celebration. So the, the, uh, the good shepherd gives a reason for the celebration. The woman gives the reason she is celebrating. And so does the father. He says, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he was found. That's the reason they're celebrating. The, the celebration isn't to congratulate the son for making his way home. The celebration is to congratulate the son for being found. The father doesn't say we're celebrating because he was lost and has come back. He says he was lost and he was found. I found him. Celebrate with me. He he was lost. He was dead. And now he's found. He's alive. You see, the banquet is is a celebration of the Father's costly demonstration of unexpected love to find and resurrect his Son. Let me say that again. The banquet is a celebration of the Father's costly demonstration of unexpected love to find and resurrect his Son. What a glorious event to celebrate. And and listen, if there's any doubt in your mind that the Father is, is, is in this story is a symbol for Jesus, just look at what the servant uh, says to the older brother in, tw- in verse 27. The, the older son comes and he asks what all this commotion is, and the servant tells him, your, father's, your brother has come, your brother is home, and your father has killed the fatted calf because, here's the reason why he has filled the, ca- the fatted calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. The father has, has received the sinner and now he's eating with him. He's celebrating with him. What were the scribes and the Pharisees complaining about in verse, two, in verse 2? That Jesus receives sinners back and he eats with them. It's amazing. And quickly, just as we wrap up, let's look at the older brother. Let's read the rest of it. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he said, one of his, he said to one of his servants, uh, he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the older brother, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. He was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and treated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he doesn't even call him his brother, this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, who, which, by the way, we don't know that happens, he's just adding that in, he's devoured your property with prostitutes, he's painting them in the worst uh, uh, possible way, you, you, you killed the fatted calf for him. Verse 31. And then he said to him, the father said to his son, Son, you are always with me. All that I have, all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was, he was lost and is found. Firstly, 
Why exactly is the, is the older son angry? Is he angry because the younger brother's back and that he's alive? No, not necessarily. Uh, you, you'd almost think that if the servant uh, tells, the, tells the older brother, hey, your brother's back and he's alive, that, that then the older brother would almost certainly go to the banquet and see what's happening because, uh, because there would need to be a family meeting about how they're going to deal with the prodigal son. Hey, the, the, cutting, the cutting, cutting off ceremony, when's that going to be? We're, we're, we're doing that, right? But that's not what the servant tells him. He tells him that it's over. He, he tells him that, that the younger son has been reconciled. The, the, the father has already accepted him back. He's received him back. And he's done so without the prodigal pain for his sins. And that is why the older son is angry. He's so angry here that he actually takes the radical step of, of breaking his relationship with the father. And, and that's another bit of uh, crucial uh, context that Jesus' listeners would have been familiar with. For a son to be present and refuse participation in such a banquet is, uh, is an unspeakable public insult to the father. His actions are, are absolutely outrageous here. He refuses to go into the party He's more than pouting outside. He's raging at the father's acceptance of the son. And his rejection of the father's reconciliation with the prodigal leads the older son to actually sever his own relationship with the father. And yet again, look at the father's response. Jesus is is yet again completely turning upside down the expected expectation here, the expected reaction uh, again, the father, he's breaking the accepted code of behavior. And for the second time in a day, he's willing to offer this costly demonstration of unexpected love and grace to his son. You see, Jesus' listeners would fully expect, you and I would fully expect the father to, to ignore his, his, his older son, ignore the public insult. We're throwing a banquet here. We're throwing a, a feast in public. We've got a party to attend to. And then we'll deal with the older son later. That's not what he does. In painful public humiliation, the father goes down and out and he finds yet again another lost son. And instead of, of punishing this stubborn son, he comes out and he, he gently entreats him. He, he begs him. He, he pleads with his son. You see, this is, this is an unexpected, amazing grace that, that, that's being offered to both of the sons. Only now it's being offered to a law keeper rather than a lawbreaker. But you see, both sons are lost both sons have, a, have the problem of a broken relationship with the father. Both sons need to return to the father. Both sons need to be found. And the father, in both cases, goes to the son and offers a costly demonstration of love. And, and really, here's where both the sons were off in their attempt to, to define their relationship with their father. You see, both sons were, were trying to define their relationship with the father as that of a servant before a master. The, the younger son intended to, to, to become a hired servant uh, to the father. The, the older son is arguing here that, that for years he's been this faithful servant. He's never disobeyed a single command. 
They both define their relationship in this way, but the Father will not accept that. He offers costly love to each out of his determination to have sons who respond to love rather than servants obeying mere commands. Isn't that amazing? The Father tells them, you are my sons because I tell you you are. Not because you've earned your way by working tirelessly. See, this is a story about the compassion of the Father who offers this costly love and grace to his two lost sons. Uh, You know what's always frustrating is is when stories don't resolve, (laughs) they don't have an ending, um, and that's what happens with this story. We, We don't know how it all plays out. We don't know what happens with the younger son. Is his repentance genuine? Uh, is this going to last for him? Or is it a flash in the pan? We don't know what the older son decides to do. Does he reconcile? Does he accept his, his father's love, reconcile it with him, go in and celebrate the prodigal? Or, or does he stay outside and continue to grumble? Uh, neither of these points matter. And what only matters is how Jesus' listeners will respond. And, and, and this is why it is, it's important for you to find yourself in the story. Uh, which brother are you like? And I, I don't think it's always a, a clear-cut one or the other. Because uh, in, the, in the deepest sense, each and every one of us is the younger brother. Uh, we're all lost. We're all depraved. We're all estranged from the Father uh, a long way off. We're all in desperate situation. All of us are in need of, uh, of being saved. Um, and, and if you are a believer, what the Father did for the prodigal is, is exactly what Jesus has done for you. Uh, or maybe you, you, you're still the prodigal, but you're, you're still a long way off. You're not, you're not a believer yet. Your heart hasn't been transformed yet. I just want you to know that Jesus' humiliation, his, self, his, his emptying of himself, his, his costly demonstration of his love for you that he displayed in his death on the cross, that, that is the grace that is offered to you. That, that, that is uh, the, the, the love and the grace that's offered to you, the reconciliation without you having to pay anything back. It's amazing grace. Um, but in a lot of ways, I think especially in our, uh, in our culture, most of us are like the older son, pretty obedient most of your life. Um, you might be like me, you've had a, a prodigal year or two in there, but, but uh, the majority of your life has been probably described as a law keeper. And, and here's the thing, is when, you, when your life is, is defined by being a law keeper, or, or put it another way, when your relationship with God is defined by your performance, it's so easy to find yourself outside refusing to enter the banquet. Uh, standing outside the party, Grumbling that some filthy pig herder has been received and is being celebrated without having done anything to earn it. And you see, if the, if the older son accepts the love offered to him by the father, uh, he will be obliged to treat the prodigal uh, with the same loving acceptance 
of which his father uh, welcomes the pig herder with. Uh, the, the older son will, will need to be conformed to the image of his compassionate father who, who reaches out in the form of a suffering servant to both kinds of sinners, offering each of them undeserved, costly love. I'm just going to pray for us, and then we're going to go into our uh, time of uh, the Lord's Supper. Father, we love you. And we thank you for uh, your word, your word given to us to point us to Jesus, point us to, to this king and his glorious kingdom. Thank you, Jesus, for your words that you um, have given to us to reveal what your kingdom is all about. We thank you for this story that shows us how you interact with us, lost sons, those who are estranged from the Father, those who are in a dire situation, in desperate need. We thank you, Jesus, that you, you don't greet us with um, scorn. You don't uh, greet us with resentment. You rush after us in costly, uh, uh, with a, in, uh, humiliation and costly uh, demonstration of your love, emptying yourself, taking on the form of a servant, and displaying that love on the cross on our behalf, and that we get to be reconciled without having to do anything but accept what you've done. We thank you that you call us um, to be brothers of you, Jesus, that we are now sons and daughters of the Father. We are brought into the family, that we are reconciled, those who are a long way off and those who are near, you brought us together. Um, Jesus, we ask that you'd open our hearts and open our minds uh, to the ways that we need to repent. Um, may we be uh, like you, Lord, who, who celebrate, celebrate those who get to receive this grace, this free grace. May we celebrate, Lord. May we not grumble. May we not be the ones standing outside the party, but we come in. And we celebrate what you've done, Lord, on our behalf. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, if you uh, are a believer, um, then what we actually do every week at our, uh, at our gatherings is we celebrate. Uh, we, we have a meal. We eat together. And this meal, what, what we do is we break bread and we dip it in wine. And what this symbolizes is the costly demonstration of Jesus what he's done for us to reconcile us. And we celebrate that. Uh, we, his, bread, his body being broken, just like this bread being ripped apart. His blood being uh, shed, just like we dip it into the wine. So um, if you have uh, uh, wine and, and, and bread and you're a believer, um, I'm going to take the next uh, couple songs to celebrate uh, with each other. Uh, celebrate what the Lord has done. And um, if you're not a believer, uh, I just want to encourage you to, this is weird, but you can get in touch with us and, and find out more of what it means to be accepted. And then uh, when we're together again, we're going to celebrate uh, just like uh, the Father does.